says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And joining me this week is a Hollywood celebrity, Ron Burgundy. News team, assemble! Thank you, Ron, one of the greatest news anchors of all time, obviously, and joining me today to talk NRL and news, my good mate, Sixties. How you doing, big fella? Well, mate, I think when it comes to the NRL, there's another line I can borrow from Ron Burgundy. Well, that escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to help break down that uh, rapid and non-stop escalation, of course, is our new specialist, Spiro, coming to us from 2GB. How you doing, big fella? Going well, uh, fellas. Great to chat with you again. And that intro doesn't get old, does it? I just absolutely <laughs> love it. It's a lovely little addition to our podcast every week. All righty. Well, before we get to the uh, sort of pressing issues around the game, let's talk Parramatta, do a bit of a reflection from um, on, on top of our instant reaction that we had on the weekend. Eels beating the reigning, um, reigning premiers, the Penrith Panthers, 34-210 last week in prime time. Spiro, Sixes and I spoke about this in the post-game, but you've got a few thoughts on this one. How did you see the win? Because it was a bit of a tale of two halves, although there were some, as it turned out later, a bit of a mitigating factor somewhat to why the Eels sort of went away in the second half with the Mitchell Moses injury. But a bit of good, or a lot of good in the first half and then some bad in the second. A lot to be impressed about, guys. I mean, to come out against the reigning premiers and put in a performance like we did... A lot to be proud of. And even before Nathan Cleary went off, we were well and truly on top of the game. We proved that we were probably the better team. We came out faster, stronger, harder, and we showed that we probably wanted it more than Penrith. And it it comes back to the same point all the time that we get up for these big games. We start really well, but games that we should win, uh, you know, that we should win and are expected to win, we don't start as well. And we, we start on the back foot. So I was really impressed with what I saw in that opening uh, 20 minutes or so, but also the opening half. They capitalized on the opportunity uh, of Penrith being a man down in the back end of that first half, piled on the points, got enough of a lead there to go into the sheds comfortably at half time. So n- not taking anything away from the side and the win, but just a brief observation, I-, I really would have liked to see the boys really stand up in that second half, put a few more points on the Panthers and really uh, seal that game out rather than leaving it a little bit open. And, Penrith were never going to come back and win that game. Don't get me wrong. But it would have been nice for Parramatta to put in a full 80-minute performance given that Penrith were a man down for most of that game. So credit to the Panthers. I've got to give them a little bit of um, they some a bit of an acknowledgement. Talk, man. Yeah. They did. They did. You know, they really did. And they played for the jersey. They knew they weren't going to win. But they played great football with 12 men and they matched it with us and they outscored us in that second half. So, um, yeah, well done to the Panthers. Great win for Parramatta. And it just shows when we come up against the big teams, we can mix it with them, and that's what matters come the back end of the year. I think there's there just never seems to be any shortage of incidents. We, we see it so many times over the years where the worst thing that can happen for a team is halftime. Oh, yeah. is a, it, it just completely slows the roll. It stops the roll. Uh, on reflection, I'm looking at it, and, I, and, and I'm seeing 
uh, a great completion rate from the Panthers in the second half. Um, they obviously were able to have a bit of a chat and reset and work out what they were going to do to to cover. They're not the uh, reigning premiers and and undefeated apart from uh, the Eels matches against them uh, for no reason. I'm looking at this as the two halves, and I and when I put them together, do I go glass half full or glass half empty from that match? And I think when you look at it as 34-10, you can only ever look at it as glass half full with uh, with that one. So uh, that's that's how I wrap up the Panthers, and I put it behind us as we're now three matches to zero against them this year. We're going to throw in the trial and enjoy the fact that we beat them, you know, quite uh, comprehensively in the trial. Uh, then again, you know, if we have to play them again in the final series, all of this means nothing because you've got to keep resetting and going again. So, um, yeah. 60s, can I jump in there and just say for a minute on that point, I, uh, I saw your tweet post-match and a few expletives uh, to start off that tweet, yes. which put a smile yes. on my face. But then I, I was trying to work out three times we've beaten them this year. And it did take me a little bit of a, a moment just to wrap my head around it. But you make a very good observation because we have beat them three times when you throw in that trial. And the Panthers did have a pretty full-strength squad that game. So it is three genuine wins against the reigning champs in a calendar year. So a lot to be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it it says something about the way that we approach games to the Panthers is obviously, you know, it to an extent, to an extent, not completely, but it's a little bit of kryptonite against them. They just don't like something about the way Parramatta plays them, whether it's that, that we're extra physical in those games, whether we have what they throw at us in attack covered a little bit better than we do in other matches. Whatever it is, we've been able to find a bit of a secret to um, getting on top of the Panthers and uh, long may it stay that way. Well, certainly if there was a team to be able to beat in this competition, you'd want it to be the Penner of Panthers. Like you said, 60s Parramatta making it 3-0 and on the season and could go as many as 5-0 and potentially if we uh, play them in the top four week one of the finals and then in the grand final again. So could be plenty of water to pass under that bridge still. You talked about that second half being a bit uh, slower and, and probably less focused, Spiro. And I suppose we, we spoke about this 60s, part of it being obviously that Junior and Reg were off. And that's not a knock on Oregon and Makahesi, but they're just not the same caliber props. Brad Arthur even made reference to that in the post game, saying there are two highest paid forwards. That's why we use them so much. In, to paraphrase him roughly, but the Eels looked to make a move when it came to their forward pack ahead of that August 1 or early the first week of August, depending on what, where the round falls. Deadline linked to both Marty Tapout and Dave Clemmer. Missed out on both. Uh, Manly refused to release Marty Tapout, who wanted out and, and was rumoured to be looking at the rest of the season plus a one-year extension with the Eels. Clemmer, well, it was mixed reports because initially they were saying that he wanted two years and the Eels didn't want to go two years. And then today it's been more of a, a mixed bag regarding Knights management and them being unhappy for Clemmer in general. Eels missed out, but it was a, a case of a couple other contenders adding some key pieces to David Nofaluma on loan to the Melbourne Storm, Oliver Gildart on loan to the Sydney Roosters. Have I missed anyone else, boys? Any other major transfers this uh, deadline? I think that's it. Yeah, I think you've I think you've covered it. Yeah, so the Eels look to make a move, and I know that it's been a controversial 
uh, change to the game this August 1 deadline to the point that I think Peter Volandis has spoken about moving it back to June 30 next year. But uh, Eels tried to take advantage of it but couldn't quite get a deal over the line. What do we make of that? Yeah, look, my take is that Marty Tapao, there were reports around on Friday that he was maybe on his way to Parramatta. And I was pretty excited about that prospect because someone like him, I think he's 28 years of age, uh, towards the back end of his career. But if you get a, a you know a year and a bit out of him, that push to the finals, having an extra forward on the bench to add a bit of firepower, it's not a bad thing and it's not going to hurt. And at the end of the day, we have so many forwards leaving next year that adding someone to our ranks is probably important uh, for depth and for experience. Because when you look at uh, Martin Tapao, he's played in the NRL for a number of years now, played finals football and played for his country. David Klemmer played State of Origin, and I think he's probably had one of his better seasons since moving to Newcastle in 2022. So either of them would have been a handy little pickup and I think would have been worthwhile and something that we probably should have looked at. And I understand where you're coming from. We've got Oregon there. We have... Uh, a little bit of depth, Makahisi Makatoa, uh, Kai Rodwell as well, and, and others. But having someone of that experience and that big name might help our other forwards to lift and it might inject something into our side. So disappointing we missed out on them. We may still secure to power four next season, or maybe even Clemmer, depending on what the situation yeah, well, is that, there that is at the That is a bizarre nights. developing story, isn't it? He's been stood down this week for an internal breach notice based on on-field happenings against uh, the Bulldogs uh, this week or last week where he told off a trainer when he was asked to lead the field. So I don't know if that's a, if there's something more to it or if that's like the straw that broke the camel's back, but that's definitely watch this space because it's, uh, yeah, it's escalating very quickly because there's talks of him getting sacked now. Is there anything floating around there, Spiro, about, uh, about that it is something else or, or that it's the straw that broke the camel's back? I think that it's a straw that broke the camel's back. I haven't got too much inside word on this particular situation, but, uh, you know, he hasn't been on the best terms with the Knights. I know he's played well on the field this year, and I think it's been one of his best up at Newey, but I don't think he's, you know, culture-wise, I don't think he's really buying into it up there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not from Newcastle. It's not he's where he's, you know, used to any surroundings, and they've been playing average football, and you can get frustrated with that, uh, a lot of players do, you know, get bogged down and get frustrated when their team isn't performing, and you can understand that. But to tell a trainer off, it's it's pretty disgusting behaviour. You know, you follow the orders of the coach. Uh, they're paying you the big bucks uh, to work for them as any other employee would. And when the boss tells you to do something, it's your duty to listen and follow that direction. And it doesn't matter what your view, view is on it. You just got to, you know, nod your head, yes, sir. Um, you know, three bags full, sir. How high, sir? You know what I mean? Uh, I, I don't think I got that saying quite right. But <laughs> the point, <laughs> the point the is, if the boss, you know, or the coach tells you to do something, or the trainer, you listen to the directive and you move on. You don't make a song and dance out of it. So pretty poor from Clemmeron. Is that someone that we really want at our club? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe at Parramatta, change of scenery, different, totally different story. But those sort of behaviours are not things to be. Uh, or not attractive features or traits at all. It was yeah, you'd have to think that there was a little bit of something yeah. else that was said because because uh, Hayden Knowles is a very experienced respect and respected yeah, member around the yeah, NRL community. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 been at Parramatta, he's been at, at the Panthers, he's now at the Knights. Um, he's been he's he's been involved with uh, certain boxes over the years. 
Um, he would have heard uh, plenty of players um, well, say being Corey, reluctant to go yeah, off. Yeah, Corey field. Parker and James Graham were discussing on Free Sixty about it. How it was odd that he would be breached that because they themselves, as forwards, were always angry to get off, the, like be, being told to rotate. And they'd always, you know, tell the trainer to nick off in, you know, maybe slightly more colourful terms too. Uh, so, yeah, he must have, must have said or done something particularly, you know, notable. Or like we said before, maybe this is just the straw that broke the camel's back and they're using yeah. this as the pretext to, uh, you know, move on from a, a pretty hefty contract, let's be honest. Yeah, Hayden Knowles would not be thin-skinned. Um, yeah. I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him many years ago um at a at a Parramatta game but um yeah he's uh, he's the last person that would be thin-skinned so you'd you'd have to say if it's entirely um for the the interaction with Hayden that it's probably really well and truly mm. crossed a line in terms of what was said uh because um yeah it's 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 certainly something that trainers would hear um from from front rowers, but it, it's obviously crossed the line in a big way. Yeah, so that's uh, very much a developing story this week and be very interesting to see how it plays out and then if he is <coughs> cut, where he lands, because I know that we're obviously a candidate given we're interested in this week, but uh, there'd be plenty of sort of mid-table clubs I think that would be interested in, uh, you know, 50-minute-plus prop or middle. So wait and see there. And it's another week, another West Tigers headline. This one, I mean... They're still chasing up justice for that result against the North Queensland Cowboys, but this time it's focused on the stadiums, boys. Dominic Perrottet has walked back a pre-election promise on throwing in some uh, development funds into some of the suburban venues in New South Wales, and that's got the Tigers up in arms about Leichhardt. Uh, I mean, 60s and I are pretty vocal about not particularly not being particularly huge fans of the 8th wonder of the world, but uh, always happy to hear your thoughts on this one, Spiro. Yeah, and we have discussed this a few occasions throughout the year, and I agree with you guys. And my view towards Leichhardt only affirmed to your views more after that game that we played against them. After that match, I realized, gee, the boys are actually right. Parking's terrible, views terrible, uh, facilities at average. My um, my old man and and a few others, um, a few of our friends and and whatnot had seats and had tickets. Horrible view, you know, can't see anything. Expensive as well, about sixty-five bucks a ticket. Um, you know, I think it was fifty bucks to sit stand on the hill. So I, I agree with you guys. At the end of the day, it's a horrible facility, and a funding towards a stadium isn't going to change that entire experience because parking's still going to be a bugger, and the general experience and vibe of the place won't change too much. However, when you look at it and you you consider the argument that's being tabled. Leichhardt Oval is used for quite a number of junior representative matches, a couple NRL matches, Super Rugby, uh, A-League. So it is a ground which is used, right? Um, Shark Park, it's only used for Rugby League, right? And there, it's also a ground which is a bug at a park, experience is average, you know, very crammed, not the best experience. But a place like Leichhardt, if you invest a little bit into the facilities, it might be worthwhile to enhance the experience for the playing group, juniors that use it, use the ground, um, you know, Super Rugby, which use the ground, A-League, which use the ground. So I'm a bit 50-50. I'm a bit on the fence with this one. I agree with you guys in terms of it's a very average arena, a, a very average ground, and the funding won't change too much. However, they do need to upgrade the facilities because they're pretty poor. So, they, they, you know, they've got to make a call whether they're going to either um, let it die a slow death or 
inject a little bit of money just to, to freshen it up and and make it a little bit more acceptable. And part of the I don't is- think I was going to say I don't think there's going to be too much in the way of uh, A League or or Super Rugby played there when the Sydney Stadium is now going to be able to host matches. I think that's that'll pretty much um, cancel uh, the the amount of matches that are going on at Leichhardt Oval. Look, I I, I if they're going to use Leichhardt for NRL matches, it it needs something spent on it. I, I've got I've got no question about that. It, I, I think the West Tigers really they have to make a call as to what they genuinely want because if they were to get let's say the the world exists where the New South Wales government say you know what we're going to spend um, hundred million dollars on on Leichhardt and we're gonna we're gonna make it a an elite boutique ground that really bring it bring up the experience there um, you've then got West, the West Tigers would still be playing at the most six games That's a the year issue. there. That's the issue. And uh, because they're all of their juniors, they're um, the, the catchment area for the, the West Tigers for, for players and for supporters is all in the MacArthur region. It's, they are, that, is, that should be their bread and butter is developing where the population is for their future. If they're holding on to Leichhardt Oval, and don't get me wrong, I understand the culture and the history of a club like Balmain and their link, but here's their problem. Balmain financially doesn't exist anymore as, a, as an entity. Like, they, they can't contribute to the, um, to the joint venture. They don't have a trading leagues club. Like, literally, the money that comes in is the NRL funding and the and, and the West Magpies funding from their licensed clubs. So it's, it's a challenge for them. I mean, if they were to develop Campbelltown, they mm. could play... They could wipe out playing at Parramatta and play nine games at Campbelltown, three at Leichhardt every year. Bang. You know what, 60s, I agree. I agree with you 100%. And after being at uh, Campbelltown for the first time this year, it's already a pretty good stadium. Yeah. So if they inject a little bit of money, that could make it a great stadium. The access is fantastic. You've got a train line right there. It's near some local shops. You know, car parking is not an issue. So I agree. That is where they should be investing their money. They want to focus on that catchment. And the club have made that very, very clear. And the best way to do that is to upgrade Campbelltown Stadium. Yes, sir. Now let's keep moving, boys, because this is going to be one of the more briefer podcasts due to prior commitments for 60s, but we've got a couple more topics to burn through. I'm hard-pressed to think of a player with as bad a rap sheet as Nelson and Sofa Solomona that doesn't tell the full story where he could have been twice as bad, it feels like, at times. Obviously, Parramatta fans will recall back in, was it round three, when he uh, clocked Makahezi Makatoa across the chops in a real nasty shot and managed to somehow dodge a suspension. That certainly... Uh, ground our gears but this week or last week in the round there he uh i don't know did, did he get away with it uh, i know that james graham said that he, he you know when you're a playing defender you know where your body is and you know where your elbow is for those sort of things sort of implying that the sofa solomon knew what he was doing uh when he dropped uh the hooker for the uh, warriors wade egan uh to the ground very forcibly uh, he's managed to dodge a suspension and got what i think a, a small fine 
what right call boys or no? Did he get away with it again? He's got away with it. <laughs> I agree. He's got away with yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and the thing which frustrated me the most was after the tackle that he went and deliberately put the elbow in the face of Wade Egan. Now that shows that there was intent and that he was trying to do more damage than originally uh, occurred. So mm-hmm. I, I think he got off light. Oh, yeah. it was just it was just the ugliest looking, vicious tackle. And I mean, we're not talking about <laughs> I mean, we've seen some Parramatta players penalized for inverted commas tackling too hard. Like it's it's literally been what they've been told when they've been penalized. But that 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 looked like an act of thuggery to me out on the field. And how on earth the explanation that uh, Patton gave Luke Patton for yeah. um, you know no there was a comment about uh, the force wasn't uh, wasn't uh, yeah. too bad you know like the, uh, and I'm thinking how, how on earth can you say the blokes come down with his basically his forearm and elbow on the bloke's mouth and there's yeah. no force I mean the the size of him and he's put his weight behind slamming down on the bloke's head it's it's, it was vicious. It kind of beggars but, belief how a Sofa Solomona is the world's largest piece of Teflon when it comes to the match review committee because it's almost like a consensus across the, the game when you, you talk about neutrals and there is always divisive opinions when it comes to rugby league for neutrals. Some will say it's one thing or some will say it's the other, but almost unanimously when it comes to the stuff that he's gotten away with, everyone's been like, how? How? You know, coming back to the Hesse Makatoa shot, uh, how did the bunker miss it in the game? How did the match review committee miss it in the post game? Uh, it, it beggars belief. Yeah, absolutely. But do you know what? I'll tell you why I'm not surprised. Cast your mind back to the, the early rounds this year, and I was banging on about the match review committee. They weren't interested in leveling charges at blokes that were coming in with their knees in tackles. And yes, it affected Parramatta, but it was also it was also seen in other matches. Then we had the the, the hit by Nass on a, uh, on um, uh, Makahisi Makatoa. And right back then, I was fuming. And I said it was basically sending a message to NRL players Open season. that you're not going to be held, you're not going to necessarily be held accountable for foul play. And as far as I was concerned back then, the use of the knees was about as, as foul as it can get. Well, you know, I think you reap what you sow. That's exactly what's happened with the. Uh, the rugby league this year, you're, you're looking at some of the foul play that's here. We don't need new rules to cover this. We don't need new rules to outlaw certain tackles. Those, I mean, those cannonball tackles and the and the hip drops, they're already outlawed. We don't need to be talking about oh, we we won't allow a third man into the tackle or what have you. Imagine trying to trying to legislate against that in a game. Trying to have a law against three people tackling in a match when you've got someone charging to the line or someone's powering their way in post-contact metres through the middle and you're supposed to sit back and watch as your teammates get powered over the top of. That sort of stuff doesn't work. No. But there is there are rules against doing hip drops. There are rules against the cannonball tackle. So if you want to outlaw it, if you want players to stop doing it, just hit them with harder penalties. That, that, exactly. You know yeah. there's, throw, in, there's... throw in a fine... Like if the club doesn't pay them, if they're suspended, there, there are like, there are preventative punitive off. measures built into the game to stop dangerous tackles. 
but the it seems like the NRL is being wildly inconsistent when it comes to applying them, and that's why you start seeing the feel start to you know sneak into the game, and you start seeing the hip drops and the cannonballs. If they come down with the hammer and make them, you know, make make a real example of the players that are doing it, clubs will stop it. Like it, it is just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a no, it's a no brainer. <laughs> Alrighty, let's uh, move into the final chapter of this week's podcast. I know it is on the shorter side. Let's talk some Parramatta. We had some interesting news this week. Obviously, Mitchell Moses out for what looks to be on the brighter side three to four weeks per the club's injury report as he gets surgery, or he's had surgery on that broken finger that he sustained against the Panthers. Uh, Team West has Jake Arthur named at the number seven spot, which seems like a no-brainer. It's a like-for-like replacement halfback. But there were some reports coming out of Monday that the Eels might be toying with the idea of Quinton Gufferson moving into the halves to partner uh, Dylan Brown. So I don't know what the latest in that one is. Boys, Spiro 60s, what's your takes on it? Jake Arthur will play. That's simple. That's simple? Yeah, Yeah, look, I've heard a couple of reports around that maybe Clint Gufferson might partner Dylan Brown in the halves. Um, there, were, there was word that Jake had a sternum injury, possibly, but he may push through that. Um, yeah, look, it's an interesting one. In my view, regardless, I think Dylan Brown is going to be the more dominant half. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who who's pairing him there. And Jake, I think, will do his job. He'll be solid. And I think he'll probably learn from previous experiences, maybe a bit earlier in the year, when he maybe tried to overplay his hand a little bit. Um, you know, he's still learning. He's only played a, a handful of NRL games. So I think he'll he'll just get on there, do his job, give the ball to Dylan, give the ball to Gutho and the rest to, to do the work and he'll just slot in there. Um, if if the, they do end up going with Gutho due to Jake's injury, I think Gutho will step up and, do, and you know, fill in that void and Hayes Perham will slot in at the back nicely. So regardless, I think we'll be okay, but... Uh, I, I don't know at this stage what exactly will happen. I guess tonight at, at training, we'll be able to work out what the movements will be, but I assume that Jack Arthur will play and there won't be any issue there. Yeah, and and uh, you know, there's there were some interesting takes that people had, like uh, playing Perham in the halves and, and that sort of stuff rather mm. than playing Jake. But, uh, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward. Jake's the number three half in the in the mm. pecking order in the club. He's, he's next man up. He's he's had his scattering of NRL experience, which was really, you know, that that scattering experience prepares a young player for moments like this. Now, how how do I think it'll it'll play out? Look, it's going to be tough. Mm. Manly Manly have given Parramatta all sorts of grief in recent seasons, and that's been full full strength Parramatta has they've given grief to so. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a big ass this week. I think, like like you, Spiro, I agree um, that Dil- it's up to Dylan Brown to step up. He's in now in his fourth season of NRL, so he will be the the seasoned half. If you, you use inverted commas with that in in terms of the halves pairing, it, it's also incumbent. Uh, it's it's also important that uh, Reed and Gutho continue the improvement that they made last week in their own games because we need the spine to be functioning at their best and that will help Jake along as well. Yeah, and the other one here, you mentioned Reed, but this sure. is a, no, I, I agree. You mentioned Reed sixties, but this is a game for Reed in the forward pack to dominate against Manly. Uh, the Manly pack is by no means uh, you know a bunch of superstars. There's some honest workers in there. Um, there's some decent, you know, 
decent players or young players like Ola Kawatu in particular. I think he really stands out. But, you know, Paseca's okay. Sipley's okay. Uh, Andrew Davey, we, we, know, we know him quite well. He's a good, honest back rower. And Jake Dubojevic is a worker. So this is a chance for Reg, Dunes, Lane, Ice, Maddo, the bench forwards like Oggie and Makatoa and Murata to come in there and work with their number nine and take control of the middle and take control of the game. So that that's really where I'm looking there. And obviously having Guffo and Reed and Dylan cash in off that. But I want to see the forwards own Manly this week. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. All righty, boys. Anything we want to talk about before we wrap up? I know I, I you know, keep stressing this, but I'm sorry for the short podcast, but circumstances have sort of conspired to keep us to under half an hour, which is almost a record for us, isn't it, 60s? <laughs> it, is, it, it is, mate, but... But do you know what? It's uh, we, we've we've got to the point. We've we've I think we've hammered this one out superbly, mate. If I do want to, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back for that. Brevity and the, is the soul of wit, after all. And we've got to, and and just to paint the picture for our listeners as well, that sixties uh, is our man on the ground, and the roving reporter who'll be heading out to training tonight to uh, get a little bit of inside word and see what's happening there at Parramatta. Looking forward to seeing uh, what he can bring back. Yes, yes, mate. It's uh, it's. Uh, I tread that fine line of mm. watching, mm. and also keeping a bit mum on it. <laughs> He's a very smart man. Sixties. He's a very smart man. We're it. lucky to have him. Well, as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Hope you enjoyed the breakdown of everything that happened across the NRL in the last seven days. It has been. I mean, you mentioned it sixties, but uh, that escalates very quickly. Like Ron Burgundy said, and it just keeps on escalating. There is so much happening in the NRL just outside of Parramatta alone. But yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. We'll catch you guys on the next episode as we preview that clash against the Manly Seagulls. Go you eels.